This week on Geek Explained, Christmas time is here. In part three of In December, I'm joined by Dallas of the Comics Collective once again to discuss the continuing adventures of Grant Morrison and Dan Mora's Klaus. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is technically our Christmas special for 2023, as well as part three of In December, the month-long series where I'm dedicating all of December to creator-owned comics. I am coming at you from a very rainy day here in Los Angeles, but I am very excited to talk about Klaus once again. Last year, Dallas of the Comics Collective Podcast and I sat down and talked about the opening chapter, the origin story of Santa Claus with Klaus by Grant Morrison and Dan Mora. And this year we are doing it again. We're going to be covering volume two of Klaus entitled The New Adventures of Santa Claus. This covers both the Witch of Winter as well as the Crisis in Xmasville and any time that I get to have Dallas on the show is just an absolute treat. We end up talking about all manner of things. I come away from every conversation with him with a new perspective and a new appreciation for everything around me. And I just I just love this conversation that we had about Klaus. And I'm sure you will too. So that is our main event. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, No weekly review this week. We are taking a break from that for the rest of the month uh, just to be able to take some time. I'm recording these a little bit in advance, not very much in advance, but a little bit in advance so I can give myself a little buffer to relax for the end of the year. I want to take time to relax and to enjoy uh, my time. I'm staying in LA for Christmas for the very first time since I moved out here, so it's going to be a little different this year, but I'm looking forward to hopefully not doing a whole lot for <laughs> Christmas, relaxing, and then just kind of enjoying the closeout of 2023. Uh, some big news came out this week, and unfortunately, it's uh, it's you know partially not great news and partially kind of just strange news, complicated news. Let's say uh, the first piece, not great news. Uh, Rocksteady and Insomniac got hit by some major uh, cyber hacking attacks um bunch of stuff leaked wolverine uh suicide squad killed the justice league stuff i really feel for both those studios it's a terrible thing to have something like this happen and to on top of that just to have people grift this stuff and like take this and you know take the suffering of these studios and of the people who've been working on these games and just be like oh well let's report on it because it'll get clicks i will not be doing that because leaks suck and it takes away from the hard work of the studios and the game devs who've been working on it so just in general 
we're standing here in solidarity with game devs. This this sucks, and I feel for them, and I hope that they're able to get through this. On other more complicated news, um, we got the official verdict for Jonathan Majors, former now Kang in the MCU. He has been found guilty of, I believe it's third-degree assault and something else. Um this is not good for Mr. Majors. It is, uh, it's, it's, you know, we, we knew that something like this could happen and now it has, and we got to see where everything goes from here. Obviously it's a much more complicated situation than just, oh man, sucks for Kang and sucks for Marvel. There are real people involved in this, people whose lives have been turned upside down because of all of this. But I really, you know, in the in the scope of you know geek culture, pop culture, Marvel superheroes and shit, um, this is gonna throw a big wrench into the plans for the MCU. Marvel immediately, once this news went out, cut ties with Jonathan Majors. Kang Dynasty has now been just renamed Avengers Five, tentative title pending. Uh, so we will see what happens. We'll we will just have to see. But again. This isn't just like, oh, hey, Kang's gone. Obviously, that is what a lot of people are going to be uh, focusing on and going towards. But just remember that real people, just like with Insomniac and with uh, with uh, Rocksteady, obviously very two very different situations, but the through line between both is that real people are getting hurt in these things. So just be kind. Just be kind to, to people who are going through a tough time. You know, obviously, again, very different situations. And there are some people who don't deserve to be kind to. But there are lots of people who do. Which kind of folds nicely into the theme of this year. Uh, and of this episode, really. So uh, with that out of the way, with all those you know big breaking news stories getting on out of here, let's roll right on into the main event. The main course, the entree, if you will, as I sit down with Dallas Taylor to once again revisit the story of Klaus. If happy lives a mile away, a couple steps is all it takes, if kindness lives in everyone, and all it takes is standing up, can't touch it, see it, oh, but you can always feel it, oh, the Once upon a time. Here we are. It's Christmas time, y'all. In December, it's the month that keeps on giving. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with that wonderful time of the year, it's my favorite holiday. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It is the best time of the year. And it means we got to talk about some Santa Claus. But not just any Santa Claus. We're talking about Klaus. Grant Morrison, Dan Mora, the match made in heaven. And of course, I'm joined by a returning guest, my personal comic book Santa Claus that comes around around this time every single year. He's the gift that truly keeps on giving from the Comics Collective. It's Dallas. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I don't know what it is 
like being on this podcast feels like coming home. Like it feels more <laughs> cozy than my own podcast. Like I sign in on Sunday nights and I'm like back to the mines. And then I listen to you do like your little snap and your intro. And I'm like, oh, is that a weighted blanket on my shoulders? Oh, what's going on? We're here to talk about comics. It's the most be beautiful time of the year. Like these quarterly meetups, they keep me going back to the mines at my own show. It really, it really is a rejuvenating little, uh, little trip up to the mountains and a little day yeah. spa. Like I feel well rested, moisturized, ready to take on the world. It's wonderful, and I just got my lips done, so we're doing, we're having a great Ooh. time. We're doing a great job. Look at that. But yeah, I. It was. It's so funny because, like, I think this was probably like mid October, early November. I get a, I get a message from Dallas just out of the blue, and Dallas is like just remembered that it's almost time to talk claws again. And I was like, it is almost time. Yes. I wasn't going to let you forget. I didn't pitch it on the air last year to not have it happen this year. I know how it works. It, it is. It is a yearly tradition at this point. Uh, the man in the big red cape has to come through and we got to talk about him. We had a wonderful chat last year about the introductory chapter to Klaus and his story. And I knew at the end of the conversation, even especially after Dallas mentioned it, I was like, we got to do this every year until we run out yeah. of Klaus stuff. So like, yeah. this is this is no surprise for I think any of us that that we had to be here. And what was so fun about breaking it up is like this middle volume in the three years that I have been rereading these every holiday season, it is always the volume I forget. I'm always, and so coming to read it this time, I was like, what am I going to have to say about like the forgotten one? And then yeah. reading it in isolation without reading any of the other Klaus, I was like, oh, wait, no, these are still magic. Mm -hmm. I'm just spoiled for quality out of this series. And it's the first time that the winter witch has ever made me choke up like i was choked up reading what i thought was my least favorite klaus story so like these oh, books are magic we'll see and it's funny too because like we read through that first volume last year and every bone in my body was aching to just be like and now you just got to read the rest before you know before that magic leaves you and i had to physically force myself to not read it because yeah. I I've never read these before. These are all first time readings for me. And so awesome. I am I am discovering this magic while being led through a nighttime sleigh ride with Dallas. And okay. it's... I don't want to get way ahead of us, but I'm so fascinated now. I know you're a big Dan Mora fan. Yes. Um, thank you, Dan Mora, for all you've done for My the Lord superhero Savior. community yeah. and for Eric Azana in particular. What do you think of the evolving style of Dan Mora and particularly the Xmas Town story where he paints oh. all of that? What did you think as a huge Dan Mora fan, first ever paint oil paints Dan Mora? Cause so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I feel like when it comes to a lot of comic book art, in my experience, and this might not be everybody's experience, when you see someone who uses a lot of like hand brushing watercolor like that's their style like you don't go to like an like an alex malev not to expect that yeah. specific style or like an andrea sorrentino like that's kind of their style and that's their bag and i 
absolutely adore their art but they don't do switch ups like this right like i i i can't even think of like the first dan mora comic that i read i'm sure i'll have to do a deep dive on that at some point figure out where exactly that began for me i think it was this for me like if i'm being honest i think it was this i think it was klaus well and it's it's fascinating too because like i think we talked about it last year reading that first volume i'm like okay gmo knew that they had talent yeah on their hands when they signed up with dan mora they knew immediately and i mean you look back through their whole discography they've worked with literally almost only exclusively bangers when it comes to artists but i was fascinated to look at Dan Moore's art at the beginning and see how much his art has changed over time. Absolutely. I think a largely underappreciated element of the truly great comic book writer is good taste in comic book artists. Yes. If you look at all of the all-time greats, they are considered all-time greats because they are consistently working with the best artists in the business. And I think there are some people who would be just as highly regarded as your Tom Kings, your Grant Morrison's, your Alan Moore's, your Rick Remender's, if they had better taste in collaborators and the willingness to say no, to be like, you know, your art is great. Not for this project though. Like I would, I will hold on to this project for a little while because ultimately this is a visual medium. Like you can Mm -hmm. have the best script in the world. If you are not working with the best artists in the world, it is less than it would have been otherwise. 100%. And so Dan Moore is an incredibly young artist at the beginning of this series. Grant Morrison sees that talent and says, you're the one I'm going to work with on this. Yeah. I was just talking with Kyle Starks about exactly this. And he was like, he's like, I'm finally getting to the place where he's like, I feel comfortable enough just writing things and not drawing them because I have enough clout to be paired with good artists. Yeah. Like he's kind of like a snarky guy, but he's like, like I'm working with people that I think are as good or better than me at art. Yeah. And so now it's fun to work with them. He's like, Steve Pugh is the perfect artist for what I want to do. And that book is better for it, you know? And you can see that with what Grant Morrison does here in Klaus. Absolutely. And I, And there is, of course, the argument of like, you know, you got to work your way up to getting that kind of cachet to be like, I don't want to work with this artist. I want to work with this artist. But that being said, I mean, when you have like, it's funny, you you mentioned like some of the greats that are known for working with great artists. I've been saying it for years. Tom King has a gift Mm -hmm. for choosing the perfect artist for the story that he's trying to tell every single time. It's well, and crazy frankly, the batting average he has. He elevates his artists. Like yes. Doc Shaner was not a professional artist before Tom King. Mitch Garretts was not a professional artist before Tom King. And Jorge Fornes was not a professional artist before Tom King. Mm-hmm. There were three guys trying to break in. And Tom yeah. King and Rick Remender talks about this too. They spend time on social media following all these fan art accounts. And once they see that someone has impressive interiors, they reach out. Yeah. And they're like, come on. Like Jorge Fornes was working on cars yeah. when Tom King was like, come do a Batman annual with me. You're amazing. It's, it's, 
it's wonderful, especially in those moments where you see somebody who you know is going to be ruling the world in a couple oh, yeah. of years. And looking at that first Klaus volume, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, obviously. Like, if I had been reading this when it was coming out initially, I would have known that in, you know, eight, nine years' time, he'd be essentially running the art department in DC Comics. Yeah. And watching his evolution just from there to the second volume, leagues of improvement and not at all saying that first volume was bad. We just talked about, we were just gushing about how good it was, but looking at the refinements that he makes when yeah. it comes to his layouts, especially is wonderful. Like you mentioned all the Xmasville stuff and even just in the very first double page splash where it's talking about like, Christmas came early. It's showing the the small town, showing all the creepy ass Santas. Like, it took my breath away. Yeah. Like, I was transfixed on the detail work, the uh, the the depth of field that he has a mastery for in just his pencils, but you know, furthering that into the finished product. Like Dan Mora is scary good. Yeah. And what I think is fun about reading this volume, these two stories next to each other, they establish a we're going to be hopping around in time. Mm -hmm. And these are listen, since we last met about Klaus, I've watched some Doctor Who, which I know is very important to you. And now I, I get it. I get like everyone's always like, this is Grant Morrison, who for some reason isn't allowed to write Doctor Who for getting to write, (laughs) getting to write doctor who fanfic and my favorite superhero comic of all time dan slot silver surfer is doctor who fanfic so i mean uh, we, we, we talked about it you know on on the book club what a banner year or a banner month for for dan slot november was what a, what i a mean guy. what an absolute treasure he's that guy frankly i'll he say it him. i'll come he out before him. i'll stand on top of the wall and let everyone shoot was that me he's that guy i like dan slot i mean good we, comics we unintentionally did a did a double stuffed oreo amount of superior spider-man one week in november and i mean just superior spider-man that first comics I mean, of all time the return issue the first issue like comics are back baby comics are back in a back bad streets way. back all right all right oh and but, it's it's uh, fascinating to me that you would never watch Doctor Who because, like, we've had conversations about how much we love Klaus, about how much we love, I mean, Superman, and uh, and you were talking about Silver Surfer, like, incredibly Doctor Who coded, and yeah. I knew the moment that you said, "Okay, I'm going to start watching Doctor Who," I was like, "He's going to fall in love, and it's not going to be his choice." Yeah, it's just going to happen for him. Well, I think the power of it is I've fallen in love with two things I didn't think I would fall in love with because they were too big and intimidating this year. Manga and Doctor Who, because I had good friends that knew my taste and were like, this is what you should read in the manga sphere. And this is how you can find your own things. They taught a man how to catch his own fish, basically. (laughs) And then with Doctor Who, it was instead of bumping against the Christopher Eccleston season a hundred times like you have, mm-hmm. we're going to give you 
a bunch of disconnected episodes to teach you that this is a vignette show. Yeah. And so Klaus does that same thing in this volume. These are two disconnected vignettes, both stylistically with the artwork from Dan Mora, but then also in the grand timeline of Klaus. And I love that we even have like the reference to the Time Lords War here with the Pola Cola War. The Pola Cola War, the fight the, on the moon. We haven't seen the Pola Cola War yet. It's it hasn't shown up yet. There is decades worth of stories that you can tell with this creative team, with this character. And like it's it's kind of a magical thing because like one of the things that I love doing around Christmas time is to rewatch all of the Doctor Who Christmas specials. Okay. And getting that feeling again reading this volume in particular because last volume obviously incredible story wonderful art it's an origin story it's a starting mm -hmm. point and then you get to see klaus go off into the sky and become this legend and now this truly does feel like doctor who like checking in every year with something else happening like i am really excited for you to get into the christmas specials Mm -hmm. There's one, and I've talked about this, I talked about this in the recent episode that we had Anne on um, from your podcast. And uh -huh. we talked about um, A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. There is an episode of Doctor Who. It's Matt Smith's very first Christmas special as the Doctor. I would highly recommend it to you because I feel like, yeah. especially after reading this, you would love it. I'll watch it. It's, it is worth it for sure. I you'll love this. Listen, this is we're just chit chatting now. Sorry, everyone. We're, we're, but... we're just we're just guys being dudes being Christmas fans. Yeah, we're just having a little Christmas time. I listen, uh, some New York privilege here. Neil Gaiman was just in town and I went to go have a an evening with Neil Gaiman is how it was pitched. It was oh. at this like convention center and audible sent me free tickets because they're like, listen, you're a giant Neil Gaiman nerd. We know we see what Hell you listen yeah. to. And so I got to go and he was asked what his favorite TV show was. And he's like, I've had the same favorite TV show at six and 56. And it is Doctor Who. He's like, <sighs> Doctor Who has been my unbroken favorite television show my entire life. And, and I, I love that. I get it. Because he also, I believe he wrote a couple episodes. He wrote two episodes, yeah. That are... <sighs> I watched one of them runs. and then I read The Doctor's Wife I watched. Oh, I love The Doctor's Wife. Great episode. And oh. then he wrote a short story in his collection, Fragile Things, as a Doctor Who licensed short story. Yeah. Fantastic. Ugh. Ah! I, so here's the thing. I don't love the other Neil Gaiman episode, Nightmare in Silver. I haven't seen it. But... The Doctor's Wife is an all-timer when it comes to Doctor Who. And it's just a taste of stuff that, like, I one day, Grant Morrison is going to write a Doctor Who episode. It has to happen. It has to, especially with Russell T. Davies running the show again, who was kind of instrumental in bringing in a bunch of, like, random people of, of course they would be writing a Doctor Who episode. It's mm -hmm. going to happen. It's a shame that we have had... At least two separate Scotsmen in the role of the Doctor, and Gimo has not had the opportunity to write for either of them. Yeah, but, but like Nakuti, written oh. by Grant, 
with the fabulous like oh disco 70s God. aesthetic I, I love Gato's flair like like that costume is in, is ah, chef's kiss i'm gonna become a in order watcher with this one i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna do as much as i can of the old stuff but i'm starting staying up have you have you been watching the uh the 60th specials I'm going to do them all in a bunch over my Christmas I love that. break. I love that. Um, Wild Blue Yonder, which came out as we're recording this, not as you're listening to this, listener, uh, this past Saturday, mm-hmm. all-timer. All-timer. Incredible. That shit. makes me excited. And, I mean, Shudigatwa's Doctor, 15th Doctor, is going to be debuting on Christmas on Day. On Christmas Day, so, yeah. I mean, it's it's a match made in heaven. But speaking of uh, people who come around during Christmas time and have no seemingly attachment to time or place. Klaus, volume two. I love that the volume is called The New Adventures of Klaus. It's like so it's good. Like it's Batman the Animated Series. It's also very, very Sherlock Holmes, which I love. Yes. Like, the titles, I mean... The, oh my God, you're right. Yeah, the the very best-selling collection of sherlock holmes is the new adventures of sherlock holmes so yeah and just these i mean these feel like case names the witch of winter crisis in xmasville like that is an excellent pull and i never made that connection that is so see this is this is why this is why this is the most wonderful time of the year this is i I get to have conversations with people who are smarter than me and i i i love it I love Listen, I just had a very special hyperfixation this year. <laughs> Not everybody read every single Sherlock Holmes anything. You have been and, on a journey. Yeah. Listen, I went through the desert for this. <laughs> Came out on the other side 40 years later with a big beard and two tablets. One tablet said, I started Doctor Who, and the other one said, I started Twin Peaks. I'm a different man. And somehow you also had uh, Klaus's red cape. You don't, we don't, we still don't to this day know how you got the cape. I got it during the Polar Cola Wars. I, I right. was on the wrong side of history. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. I can't I'd like to, wait for Polar Cola Wars eventually. I'd like to oh, apologize at this time. Listen, Mark Wade has to let Dan Mora free if we want the Polar Cola Wars. And and to his credit, he never will. Because again, <laughs> the greats know how to hold on to great artists. And yeah. I can have... Listen, they're, they're going back to one of my favorite comics of all time right now in Batman Superman World's Finest. Kingdom Come is one of the greatest pieces of comics media ever created. And the fact that we now have Dan Mora drawing some of those characters, he can stay locked up for a little bit longer. Listen, as the unbearable hipster girly that I am, I have to say Shazam is, that's that's the book. World's Finest is great. I love World's Finest. Shazam's the book, baby. Are you kidding me? There's a dinosaur with a monocle and a top hat. Dan Mora's not doing that. It's the perfect comic book. There was a horny bee lady. It's everything you could want from she a book. She was so... She's, Dan Moore knew what a, he was doing. She's a baddie. I'm, I'm going to shout to shout to Malcolm. She's a problem. She's a problem. But uh, yeah, I, I love watching somebody like kind of soar. And Dan Moore absolutely mm-hmm. does that. And you get to see a lot of that kind of creativity in this book. Yes. And seeing how he approaches that, approaches big blockbuster superhero storytelling in the scope of a tiny Doctor Who style story. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like Doctor Who getting the big Disney bunny. Like 
all of a sudden they can have sweeping landscape shots and it's like whoa the money here and i mean dan mora has this gift of making really ordinary scenes look like they are gods and monsters level of incredible like the first double page spread we get here is that empty bedroom Mm -hmm. and it is stunning to look at and i love the small storytelling details in it because when you first Mm -hmm. look at it you see the wet footprints and then you turn the page and you see santa claus you go oh santa came in through their window but if you then return to that page You see the knocked over locker. You see the disheveled papers and you realize like, oh, wait, no, that's not what's going on here. Like something sinister happened. And it's just the subtle details of Dan Moore's artwork Mm -hmm. in this book. Like emotions are acted out on faces. Essential storytelling beats are exclusively in the art. Like this is a book that rewards you for being someone that reads a comic and not just the dialogue balloons across the pictures of this book. Like you have to read the sequential art because Dan Mora is an equal storyteller to Grant Morrison here. And it makes this book sing in a way that a lot of, you know, because we sometimes will get those big time collaborations of like this name with this name, but they don't always gel correct, you know, together, Mm -hmm. or they don't always have like an even amount of, um, of authority in the creative process. Mm -hmm. You can tell that this very much is a collaboration between Mora and Morrison. Listen, and... sometimes Tom King works with John Romita Jr. and it's just not good. Listen, two baddies oh, cannot cohabitate. Sometimes, sometimes. But I mean, just from the outset, you know, starting off with The Witch of Winter, I love the design for Klaus here. Mm-hmm. Like we we talked about, you know, Viking Santa last year and how good that design is. And he gets his super suit at the end of the story and he goes off to be Santa Claus. I love battle ready war veteran coming home and being like, what's going on, gang? Like, I love that kind of Klaus design for him where yeah. he's just he is a traveling man and he is living his lives all a hundred thousand of them i love how broad of a grin he always has like if you really look at any given panel of this book santa looks joyful like unless he is grimacing in the middle of a fight he has just this resting happy face Mm -hmm. and i i love the peace that he brings to the people that need it throughout this comic. Like, I think if Grant Morrison has one true talent, and Grant Morrison is my favorite comic book writer of all time. I think they have many talents. But if you had to distill it down to anything, it is their ability to let the warmth of Superman be felt through the page. No matter where Superman appears, or Superman stand in like Klaus, or Superman stand in like Flex Mentallo, when they walk onto the page, Everybody feels a little bit more calm and happy. Yeah. Because Superman's there to save the day. And pairing that with Christmas cheer and Christmas iconography is transcendent because while I have never been saved by Superman, I have felt the magic of Christmas. You know, like I, 
everybody talks about like, oh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Like, oh, well, it's become so commercial. It's become so this and that. Well, like, it has, yes, but there's also nothing else that makes me feel this way. Yeah. Like there is ne- no other time of the year that everyone can agree. Like, let's be incredibly pleasant for a month to everybody around us. And then, oh, well, it's everyone's favorite time of the year. That's so crazy. And And there's, you know, even over time as like we love Christmas, like there is a certain amount of like, I mean, just the world we live in, a certain amount of like cynicism that does end up eking in. But this is a personal story. Um, a few days ago, uh, we decided that my fiance and I weren't going to be going home for Christmas. We're going to be staying in LA. And it's a tough decision, but like- yeah, it's tough. It I get is, it. I get it. I'm not going yeah, home. It's, 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 you know, it's something that had, had to happen. I walked in after a very long day of doing a double at work. And she had set up a little Christmas tree in our living room. We've never had a Christmas tree ever in the amount of time that we've lived in LA. And listeners, I can't explain to you how overcome I was with emotion seeing just this little Charlie Brown Christmas tree sitting in the corner of our living room. Like that's, that's fucking Christmas. Like in that kind of feeling is how I like, how I assume it's like to be saved by Superman or to see something like that. It's like, there's, there's no other feeling in the world that gives you that. I love that there's this instinct even and we can get into this a little bit more in Xmas Phil when they there's the line like this is Xmas like we're getting rid of yeah any sort of religious or non-religious yeah and I like that even in the removing of like one good aspirational figure like the holiday is immediately replaced by another good yeah. aspirational character like there is something inherently human about wanting to create something unerringly good mm-hmm. that we can then act through, right? Because like yeah. you create the myth of Santa Claus, of someone that is endlessly benevolent, kind, and uplifting. And then you try to act like Santa Claus to the people around you. Right. Like you try to do the little things like setting up a Christmas tree to make your partner happy because that that's what Santa Claus would do. Yeah. And it's... It's that same instinct that you can find across like any worthwhile human invention, be it religious or anything else. It is we are going to create a myth around something that makes us want to be kinder and better to each other. Mm -hmm. And I like that's what hit me this time in The Witch of Winter was just like Santa saving the little kids and like helping them believe again. Nothing better. For whatever reason, this year I was like, oh, that. There it is. There's the tears. There's something about, especially in stories where you see kids losing faith in Christmas, Mm -hmm. that always, like, we we see this all the time with adults getting, like, cynical. And, like, we see it in literally every Christmas movie of, like, an adult who used to love Christmas as a kid, but, like, now as an adult is, like, ah, Christmas, whatever. The moment of seeing a kid lose faith in Christmas is soul-shattering. And... Obviously, you know, we see other characters who have been, whether they have lost faith in Santa himself, whether they have lost faith faith in the season, you know, we get into some very um, 
fantastical characters like Geppetto, who is wonderful to see. I had no idea they were going to introduce a character like that. Um, Spoonlicker, who is just the grossest little boy, uh, grossest little gremlin boy. But the two children who are captured, and one of which is, you know, still believes, and the other one who has been more or less corrupted by the Witch of Winter, it's heartbreaking. And seeing not just the two kids coming back together, but them recognizing, like, I miss my mom. Mm-hmm. And having that kind of, like, that kind of trauma feeding into your belief system is not just relatable on every fundamental level, but it makes the moments when they overcome that that much sweeter. Well, I mean, this this honestly is like the beauty of art right like you just Mm -hmm. told me a story about how like you're going to be separate from your family this holiday season and then like a token of christmas helped solve that bomb like bomb that over right that's exactly what this story is is like someone was being separate from like that line about how like my friends just want me to get over it yeah killed me because like (sighs) you're right like there comes a point where people want you to get over your grief because it makes them sure. uncomfortable yep. about something that like you will frankly never get over. Yeah. And Santa is that bomb. Like Santa Claus comes in, the iconography of this holiday comes in and allows you to feel warmth. I loved, I can't remember if it's in this first story or the second, but they talked about Santa as the defender of like the dark nights. Yeah. Like he's going to be the cozy, warm, good feelings during this long stretch of winter. Mm-hmm. I feel like this story does a good job of showing what that means in practice. Like you can be in these dark moments in your life and a truly kind act will bring you out of it. Yeah. And it, and it does the magical thing that I love in any good story where it takes the villain and says, oh, no, wait, they don't have to be. where it takes like the witch of winter and it's like oh is spring here and like having her be so tied into the changing of the seasons and how that's affected her and the people around her it's it's phenomenal storybook storytelling and i think along the way a lot of the times we kind of lose the fact that a lot of us were introduced to stories through storybooks and the innocence of that and just because the story has a storybook quality to it and it has an innocence factor to it and it has whimsy doesn't automatically make it less than. And -hmm. I think a lot of that narrative has been pushed forward in the last, you know, 15, 20 years as if something has whimsy, it's automatically less than. And having a story that rails against that, that defies that, that, criticism or that expectation is one of the most incredible things to experience as i you know go through this for the first time and as you get to revisit it and that's you know as you mentioned before some of that makes the crisis in Xmasville so magical in that we have this town that is supposed to represent all of the things that we love and cherish and adore but it is used and it's weaponized I was going to say, speaking of storybook quality, I think the intentional painterly quality of Dan Moore's art in Christmas in Xmasville is absolutely there 
to demonstrate to us that we are in towards the night before Christmas For territory. Sure. And the reveal at the end of that, that this is all an account from <sighs> that girl of yes. these events. Put a really nice bow on the fact that like, ultimately these are stories. Their stories were being told, but that doesn't make them any less real. There's a, there's a quote from a book that I really love by the author Brandon Sanderson, where he in it, he says, I don't have to believe something is true to believe in it. And I feel like that is some of the ethos, of, right? Ooh, right? I just got chills. Listen, not to Ooh. pitch you something that isn't Klaus, but if you <laughs> read The Way of Kings, it's a huge book. I recommend the audiobook because it is enormous and you won't, okay. you won't finish it okay. otherwise. You'll cry. <laughs> You'll cry. I guarantee you will have baby, baby boy tears coming down your cheeks. Every um, book of that um, series has made me cry. The Way of Kings, you said? The Way of Kings is the first book in that series. The Way of Kings. Okay. All right. I've got that. And I just, down. I love that line at the end of Xmasville where she's like, I, I don't consider myself a writer of fiction. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm sure you, we all know when we stop believing in Santa Claus and yet like, I still believe in Santa Claus, right? Oh, like I don't sure. have to believe he is real to believe in, what in the power of Santa for. Claus. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think about Santa Claus all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and rightfully so, because like, it's, I think for us as kids, there's a lot of, you know, whimsy in the idea of the individual and the icon and the, the, um, the person of Santa Claus and we get wrapped up in the magic of how does he do this? You know, what does he represent? How did he get started? All this stuff. But as I know for me personally, as I got older, I got more invested in what he represented. And that a lot of times is how those ideas thrive and they grow and they continue to evolve over time because i mean if you look at it on paper crisis in xmasville is superman santa fighting lobo santa and like that's really yep. what the story is but on a macro level it's about finding faith and believing not just in who you are and what you represent but the legacy that you leave behind and how that affects the people caught up in that legacy you know the little girl growing up and telling the story about the night where you know the night where her life and really i mean the world was saved you know if not for klaus being there the machinations of of tolacola was gonna ruin the world especially with santa but like you look at the book that she's writing love that it's boom comics and really on brand um but having like the quotes on there being like enchanting a bittersweet imaginative tour de force like there is something especially beautiful in how one person's actions can have a ripple effect on how it reacts to other people and what they do with those actions and how it affects their lives going forward and the choices that they make and 
something that's magical about this and about, you know, we were talking about before, something I love about the Doctor Who Christmas specials is these are snippets in time of the Doctor's adventures, of Klaus's adventures, but they have ripple effects that go long past the initial story that they're a part of. Dude, when I get to sit down with you next year and read the advent calendar issue. There's an advent calendar issue? We're bringing the tissues. We're bringing the tissues. buddy. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's the reason I forget the second volume. Like, the advent calendar is so good that you forget everything else happened. It's it's crazy. Oh, you got me Um, hyped for uh, 12 months from now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I I love that you what you took away from this story is absolutely correct and absolutely not what I took away from this story. Like, I love that though. That's amazing. Because for me, I mean, I came onto this before we hit record. I was like, Eric, capitalism is killing art. <laughs> and I mean, that's what I got out of the story is the idea that like Pola Cola, which is clearly like Coca-Cola who has co-opted Santa Claus. Is robbing Disney coded as well. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is robbing children of their imagination and making them into the cogs that will fit well into the world. Yeah. And that like the magic of Christmas, the magic of creativity is anathema to that system. Like Mm -hmm. Pola Cola wants to take away the part of you that dreams up things that don't exist. Because honestly, like capitalism and consumerism, as we know it, does not coordinate well with the human spirit and desire to create. Right. Like those two things, we continue to shove them together and make these strange chimera babies. Like this comic to me felt like just this shout into the void to not let them take that from you. Like don't let them take your light. Don't let them take your ability to imagine things that are not real. Because again, like we just said, like something doesn't have to be true to believe in it. Like these fictional stories to Grant Morrison are just as important as their real life stories. And I have read fictional stories. I have created fictional stories that are just as significant to me as the real life stories that I've lived. And that's not to diminish the real life stories. stories. Not to, not to. Thank you very much. (laughs) But I, I just, I, that's what I took away from yeah. Xmasville this year. And so that, I mean, what a story to contain the depths to have both of those very different Absolutely. reads. And having the the cachet to be like, okay, we're gonna tell a very on paper simple story that also includes, you know, a a soulless corporation getting ready to roll out their corporate, sp- uh, their corporate Santa Claus and getting ready to you know i i love the idea of comrade santa claus like his design looks really fun um mm-hmm. very simple utilitarian blue holding a policola but like the idea of them weaponizing something that br- brings and sparks joy you know speaks right to what you're talking about about like capitalism is ruining christmas and like the commercialization of all of it but the fact that the fact that things can exist outside of that gives me a lot of hope when we when we meet uh father frost who mm-hmm. is a character that i never never thought we were going to like get into because 
funny enough, listener, there are other cultures outside of our own, and they, <laughs> I know, it's a crazy idea, but they all have their own interpretations of stuff. And, like, him saying, you know, in kind of a, I don't know if I would consider it forlorn, but in a forlorn, I guess, uh, aspect, saying, like, most people out of, like, I can travel as far as people know my name. Most people outside of Russia don't know me. But you don't see him say that like out of sadness and he hasn't become reclusive. He has taken the the love that he gets from the people who do know him with all the passion that he has inside of him. You know, it it makes someone, you know, someone like me who is, you know, I would consider like a small time creative and knowing that, you know, yeah, people... My my name's not on a national stage, but the people that do know me give me strength and give me power. Like that is like that's that's the game, gang. Like it's it's something that isn't always at the forefront of, you know, big action pack blockbuster action stories like this does end up being when uh Klaus confronts Lobo Santa, but like it is at the heart of these stories. And one thing that I think you and I both can agree upon is that if you're getting a GMO story, it is going to be chock full of heart, whether you are prepared yeah. to experience it or not. Yeah. I think they do such a good job of always being themselves and in doing that, making something universal, right? Yeah. Like when I think of Father Frost only being recognized in Russia. It makes me strangely think of Seth Rogen talking about super bad. Like he, he was like, <laughs> he's like throughout the entirety of the production of super bad all the way until we got the first real audience reactions. We were so worried that because this was so specifically our high school experience, no one else would care. Like, but in making it that specific, we made it universal. Yeah. And so I think like, Grant Morrison, I will never care about sigils. I'm, I love you. I will never, <laughs> ever care about sigils. But like, I care that Santa cares about sigils. Yeah. I Before I loved Doctor Who, I loved this comic because you loved Doctor Who, right? Like, when you're trying to make something to please everybody else, you'll make the Pola Cola Santa Claus. Yep. Like, you'll make the soulless icon. But when you make something that is weird and funky and you you make the Klaus of this story because he doesn't yeah. look like any Santa Claus you've ever seen, but he no. does look exactly like Dan Mora and Grant Morrison made a Santa Claus. Absolutely. There, there's, there's an adage that I got from a, from an acting teacher um, that helped me out a lot when it came to, you know, creating character and for, you know, making sure that your performance sings and it's specificity sets you free. Hmm. And the idea of making something specific and unique to you allows you to share that story with others. And even if, you know, the story isn't going to resonate with everybody, the, re the stories that, you know, the people that the story does resonate with, it's going to resonate with them even more so because it's true and it's honest. And... Mm -hmm having those kind of you know those kinds of stories imbued into characters like your father frost your klaus so on and so forth um it makes stories like this sing and it makes it feel like 
you know, you mentioned at the top of this, like coming home. Mm -hmm. It, it reminds me again of uh, the night with Neil Gaiman. Um, (laughs) I feel like I'm just seeing like the inside of like this lavish room, fireplace, candlelights. I I wish it was, it was basically like a Broadway stage, like just he was on. With like a little podium and a mic and the tightest pants I've ever seen on someone who's 56. I was like, someone's got to get that man some new pants. I felt like my dad looking at me in 2011. Like, get that man a new pair of pants. He had everyone in 2011, probably. And he he was asked what it felt like to be someone who prioritized representation before it was popular. They're like, you have written so many queer characters. You've written so many non-white male characters and you were doing it in the mid 80s like how does it feel to be on the right side of history for that and he paused and he was like i want to tell you this thing about how great i am he's like but i never thought about it once i just wrote my life and i had queer friends i had friends who were not white straight men and it like it paid dividends right like Chris Claremont went to a bunch of like kinky sex clubs in New York all the time. And now that's how we have the X-Men, like the truly great artists like Grant Morrison, like Neil Gaiman, like Chris Claremont, they just write about the actual world around them instead of trying to create a specific thing. Like Neil Gaiman never sat down and was like, I'm going to write like a book about the lesbian experience. He's like, I just listened to my lesbian friends and wrote them into the book. And I think that is what allows what we were talking about earlier, you and I to take completely different things from this story because the story contains all that truth because your life contains all that truth. Like Mm -hmm. every moment of your life comes from a multitude of experiences and inputs. And when you're trying to sit down to like force out a certain message, like you're going to miss the mark. If you just sit down and like with a kind heart, write, your perspectives on the world and the events that happened to you, like that'll allow people to watch super bad and be like, man, it's like they were in my walls watching me in high school when all they were doing was just writing what it felt like to be them. Or Grant Morrison just writes about like why they love Christmas time. And it hits you and I in such different ways because we both love Christmas time. And that's what, what real genuine art does. Like it elicits a response. It elicits something that, you know, we each take different from it because we we all have different unique life experiences. We all have different unique um, viewpoints on things. And some of them are more toxic than others. But, you know, I, I love that we took different things from this. And I love yeah. that anytime I come to a conversation with you, I always learn something because our lives are so very different and our perspectives on a lot of things tend to, even though I think for, you know, for the large part, we agree on a lot of things, the way Mm -hmm. that we get to those, um, the way that we get to those conclusions is usually pretty different. And it's, it always makes me really excited because I get to learn from someone who is also learning there's something about art and there's something about 
what that brings out in people, especially when you do find art that people put their love and their genuine, you know, heart into. Um, there's nothing like it, man. There's there's really nothing yeah. like it. And it makes, you know, whether I'm reading something or whether I'm getting to talk to somebody about it, like it it really does bring about that kind of Christmas magic that we were talking about before. And I think I, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I always love coming on the show. It feels like home because I have conversations here that I don't have anywhere else. Like just talking about the world together and how we see it, how we see it differently, and then learning to see it, how the other one sees it. And like, I feel larger because of these conversations. And I think the best art helps you feel larger in that same way. Like you get to see the world through someone else's eyes for a little while and add it to yourself. And I think the reason we love these comic book stories, if you're listening to this, you love comic books. Hopefully. It's yeah, hopefully. Or if you love Eric Azana, <laughs> which or, or, like or maybe you're just like hate listening, which I mean, thanks for the listens, I guess. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Click on that ad. <laughs> Listen to that ad nine more times if you're hate Please. listening. But I you read Spider-Man because you like seeing the world through Peter Parker's eyes because he makes you feel seen and you get to see things in a new perspective. I love the comic book saga because it introduces me to people and perspectives I have never heard of before. And so if you can learn to approach the people who love those same things in that same way that like, even if you disagree, like they love it too. They're coming at it with their eyes. They are seeing the world, that book through their own eyes. They're like, if you can just learn to want to see through their eyes the same way you want to see through Spider-Man's eyes, like it comes alive, man. Cause like, yeah, this conversation right here, like we both loved this comic and we loved it for different reasons. And now we love it for much larger reasons than we did an hour ago. Like that, that's art. That's that, why people that's were painting baby. on walls, man. That's why <laughs> that, 50,000 years ago, they were putting little stick figures up on the walls because they wanted someone else to think like, about the world someday. they did. Dan Mora is going to make these figures fight giant wolves. And I can't wait. Yeah, Ooga Booga himself was, Ooga was <laughs> drawing the elk up on the wall. And he's like, this sequential art. I think it's got history. I think it's got a future. And then somebody next to him is like, mm, comics are dying. Comics <laughs> are dying right now. They just don't draw them on the walls like they used to. I don't... Pictures telling a story. Nah. A little elder Booga in the back is like, talk about the Polacola War. We want to see it. <laughs> They're hiding the Polacola War from you. The Polacola War is all about wokeism. We don't want to read it. Yeah, listen, when do they sneak a woke into my Klaus <laughs> comics? <laughs> Ladies fighting? What is this? Was that a secret? secret combinations about climate change <laughs> in my Klaus comics. The woke has gone too far. The woke has gone too far. Man, Dallas, I always love talking with you, man. Like if, if, if we haven't made it abundantly clear over the last hour, I love fucking talking to you. I always come away with a greater perspective on not just the material we're talking about but just a greater perspective on life um i still That's go good. back and tell people 
to listen to our Moon Knight conversation because oh. that unlocked a very specific part of my brain. I think about and that all the time. It listener, if you haven't listened to that, go back, check it out. Um, we just we sat down and talked psychology and life and loving yourself for too many hours. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but genuinely, I I love talking to you, man. I'm glad that we've made this a yearly tradition, and I am very much looking forward to next year. But I love you too, man. As we are as we are wrapping up this, uh, this is your time. Plug away, and I will I will silently be cheering you in the back as you do this. Oh, thank you. Um, if you enjoyed this and want it on a weekly basis, go to the Comics Collective wherever you get your podcasts. We, as this is coming out, we will be on a two week hiatus at the end of the year, but we will be back first Wednesday of January. We have an enormous backlog covering our favorite comics and graphic novels. We Some recent bangers, we covered Superior Spider-Man. We loved it. Yeah, this year fish. we did All-Star Superman and loved it. We finally did Watchmen. We loved it. One of the rules of our show is that we love the comics we talk about. And if you just want more ramblings about things other than comics the most recent episode on our feed is our everything but the comics 2023 wrap up where we're going to talk about movies music television and a whole lot of smutty fairy novels <laughs> that i i have i didn't know i was on board for. until like two months ago and all of a sudden it's everywhere now listen listen you'll get fairy pilled you look at it down across your monocle look down your long judgmental nose at the fairy smut and then all of a sudden you're listening to the vilest lady pornography you've ever heard in your life typing on an excel sheet and you're just like i just love these two i love these kids i hope they make it they're fantastic some of the best fantasy of the 21st century frankly oh my god um, if if our listeners want to follow up socials and stuff with you, uh, where can they find you? Ooh, I am trying to be on Twitter less. So follow me over on TikTok at the Comics Collective if you want comic books, or at Dallas underscore Meeks if you want novels. And that's that's kind of all I talk about there. And yeah, I've I've talked I I'd say it every single time any one of them comes on the podcast. But genuinely, I mean, Comics Collective is your favorite podcast, favorite podcast. So like, their their stuff is incredible. Their conversations are wonderful to listen to. Um, having the three of you, Dallas, Lexi, and even Anne, having them all together is a it's 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 an absolute delight it's a treat i i come away from every episode learning something and you should commit as much time to listening to them as you do with arguing with them on twitter so just think this week i made the bold stance against secret santa i came out as a secret santa <laughs> hater on our secret santa episode i made every single person on my show upset at me in one fell swoop I looked around. I looked around the room at the end of my tirade and I saw I had hurt every feeling in the room. And I was like, <laughs> that meant that was meant to be a silly, goofy time that I'm going to have to walk back for the next 30 minutes. This became a war criminal. It, uh, who, who among us hasn't gone out for a silly, goofy time and come back a war criminal? <laughs> you know what? 
Oppenheimer was just trying to have a silly, goofy time. He was just... He just didn't like the app Elfster. He didn't like it. I just really want to see you standing in the courtroom in the black and white explaining how you am become death. Uh, destroyer of Secret Santa. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. That's me. I'm going to cook every elf on the shelf and cancel every Secret Santa. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so that's that's going to wrap up our Christmas edition. I hope um, because this is coming out right before Christmas. I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. We more Klaus do things mm-hmm. with empathy, love people, have a Christmas tree and uh, make sure you don't buy any stock in uh, Polacola because things are about to go very bad for them. They are. Also, make sure to sing a little song with your dog. Y'all didn't seriously think I was going to let this go by without talking about it, right? This is the Surprise Weekly Review, where I review something weekly, and right now we are reviewing the Netflix adaptation of You, You, Hawkeye. And I've got some thoughts. I've got some thoughts. Um, if you know me, and if you have listened to any of this podcast, if this is your first episode of Geek Explained, thanks for joining me. This is, this is a good time. I hope you, I hope you enjoy the ride. But... If you know me, you know I love Yu Yu Hakusho. It's my favorite anime of all time. Um, The characters, the voice acting, the world building, it's all incredible, and I love it to death. It is my favorite anime, has been my favorite anime since I was a very wee lad, and I was cautiously optimistic about this Netflix adaptation. I did not love the trailers. I was really nervous that it was going to fall into uh, some of the other Netflix anime adaptations. And I went into this show with all of the love in my heart. Because if you go back a couple episodes, I did a full episode on why I love Yu Yu Hakusho. It was our 280th episode, (laughs) which is wild to say. Um, We are truly on the road to 300. And I... I feel like across the, you know, hour-long gushing about this show, I made it clear how much I love the source material. And so I wanted to go into this adaptation with as much love and as much grace as I could give this show. And I will be the first to say... (sighs) Look, there are two camps when it comes to Netflix adaptations. There are two categories that you fall into when it comes to anime adaptations in live action produced by Netflix. There is the first category, which features One Piece. This wonderful love letter to the series filled with incredible performances, wonderful special effects, and while it might be a little hokey, you can tell that it's made with love. And the second category is everything else. And unfortunately, 
this adaptation falls into the latter category, which kills me. It burns me to my core because I wanted to love this so much. And gang, I'm I'm going to be completely honest with you. This show, and this is going to sound weird when I say it, but stick with me here. This show has what I refer to it as the Ms. Marvel problem, where I fucking love the first episode of this show, and then the rest of the show happens. You know, I will even give I will even give the second episode some grace because I really loved where they were going. I didn't know what all this show was going to cover because they showed little things here and there. They showed the early stuff. They showed um, the 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 weapon or the the spiritual artifacts. Uh, being stolen by Kurama, Hiei, and whatever his fuck Goki. Um, and then they also showed Toguro. So I'm like, okay, this could be just Spirit Detective Arc into Rescue Yukina, and maybe they'd save or they skip the Three Beasts arc, uh, and then they kind of build to Dark Tournament for Season 2. And the first episode gives you as much faith as you possibly could in this adaptation. One thing I will say across the series, across this season, is the fight choreography is on point. The fight choreography is tremendous. I knew the moment that they kicked off the first fight and Yusuke's opening move is a fucking dropkick from off screen that I was going to love the fight choreography in this show. And I did. Throughout the entire thing, the fights were tremendous. They were the crown jewel of this show. The problem, gang, is that Yu Yu Hakusho, at its core, was not a big fight manga. Now, I understand that that might be a controversial take. That looking at it being a shonen protag anime is, and saying it's not a fight anime is sacrilegious, especially because it was coming out in the late 80s, early 90s. However, the thing that sells this is the characters, the relationships, the moments between the big fights. Yes, Dark Tournament is the greatest tournament arc in all of fiction. Fight me. You can, and you'll have to go through the entire Dark Tournament to get to me in the finals, and I will still whip your ass with only 80% of my power. However... What makes the Dark Tournament sing is not just the fights. It's the personal journeys that each of those characters, both on the protagonist as well as the antagonist side, go through that leads us to the final bout between Yusuke and Toguro. What this show does is it strips out everything that doesn't have to do with action or fights from the second episode on. And they just go, let's make the fights as cool as possible. And every single time someone is not in a fight, the audience asks, when's the next fight? Cut back to the next fight. I want my fights. Which is fine if you are telling a story that is that will live and die on fights. Unfortunately, that's not what this show is. That's not what Yu Yu Hakusho is. The Dragon Ballification of Yu Yu Hakusho is plainly seen in this adaptation, and it is 
hella unfortunate because I think there are some really great high points. The first episode centered around introducing our core cast, at least that being Yusuke, Keiko, and Kuwabara, as well as Botan and Koenma, uh, is a fantastic introduction. If you have never watched Yu Yu Hakusho, if you've never read Yu Yu Hakusho, and you are coming into this blind, the first episode does as good of a job as anything could to introduce you to the world, the characters, and the concepts that will carry through the rest of the series. And the second episode, I will say, does a great job in continuing that. It's the, the Spirit Detective arc goes from the first episode all the way through uh, Yusuke defeating Hiei. You get a little bit of, I mean, you can fold in the, uh, the, the rando stuff with Genkai, but then that moves directly into the Three Beasts, or the Sacred Beasts. And... I was like, okay, so the first two episodes are very clearly that first arc, that first spirit detective arc, before we get to Genkai. And then from episode three on, everything just happens at a breakneck pace. And I'm like, okay, so we go straight into the Rescue Yukina arc. Cool, that's fine. I'm fine with that. We can do Sacred Beasts later. Um, you want to set it up like, oh, the first season is all Rescue Yukina stuff. You fight Toguro at the end. Yusuke, seemingly kill, Yusuke and Kuwabara seemingly kill Toguro. Second season is all Sacred Beasts stuff, ending in the final episode being Toguro. He's back. He threatens Yusuke. Dark Tournament, season three. Cool. Great. That sounds awesome. What they do... <laughs> With, see, with episodes 3 through 5 is they hopscotch and condense the Rando Genkai arc, which doesn't involve anything besides introducing Genkai and having them train. Rando's skipped, the tournament is skipped, Kuobara learning more about the spirit world leading into him uh, developing his spirit sword is condensed, and we just go straight into a smash-together version of the Rescue Yukina and Dark Tournament arcs. Like, why? Why would you do that when you have so much material? I understand there was a budget. And I understand you want to get straight to the good stuff. The stuff that everyone flocks to when it comes to you, Hakusho. But you're doing it at the sacrifice of the actual arc itself. What makes the Dark Tournament great is not that you can get straight into the really cool fights. What makes the Dark Tournament great is the progression of characters throughout the tournament! Why did you turn the tournament into a gauntlet between just Taguro's team? It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. It baffles me. I would love to be a fly on the wall in this creative meeting when they're like, we are going to take the first half of Yu Yu Hakusho and smush it into five hours. And it's not even five full hours. Like, how could you... F ah, it, it's, it's frustrating because after episode three, I was like, okay, we're moving really quickly into this. How many episodes are in this season? There's only five episodes. There's only five episodes to condense the first half. The first half of the manga into one season. And it's like, I understand you want to swing for the fences, you want to go as big and as loud as possible, but this is very much giving, 
this is not going to get a season two kind of energy, which sucks. Because again, I think the performances are really fun. I think the fight choreography is incredible. And the very small character moments that we sometimes get are great. The actor who plays Kuwabara is top tier. I am so happy that they got a un as kind as I can be, an unconventionally good-looking actor. He's not, like, pretty. I wouldn't consider him pretty to play Kuwabara, who is not a pretty character in the anime or the manga. Also, I've realized this, and once you see it, you'll never be able to unsee it. They basically took Kuwabara's hair, dyed it blonde, and turned it around. So, like, you know how Kuwabara's hair in the anime and manga, it's red, and it's got kind of the uh, the front-facing pompadour look. It's very uh, Kaniki from Greece. What they did is they turned his hair completely around. And when you see the back of his head, you see the front of the pompadour that Kuwabara has in the anime. I realized this in episode two, and it distracted me for the rest of the season. I could not stop looking at him whenever he turned around. And you won't be able to unsee it either now. I'm sorry. But I just, I think he's phenomenal. I think Botan is great. They really missed the ball by not giving Koenma a child actor. I understand logistically you want Koenma to be treated as an important character and a serious character. The whole thing is very serious. The comedy is basically condensed into just Kuwabara, which is unfortunate because Yu Yu Hakusho is fucking hilarious. Everyone has their own beat of comedy in this show. And that's shown pretty well in the first episode, but they decide to make Yusuke, Jotaro... I just... They decide to make... to take everything that's cool about Yusuke and turn him into Jotaro Kujo from, um, from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, who is just... And no disrespect to Jotaro a one-note character. He is just cool. And that's fine. If that's the story you're telling and you have other characters to bounce off of that character and you have him just be cool, that's okay. Jotaro is a great character, especially in the cast that he is in. When you take that and you make everyone serious, it doesn't help anyone! Kuwabar is the most interesting character in the show because he's the one who's given dimension. Like, the little bit of dimension we got, the, the the deepest we get with Yusuke is him getting jealous of Kuwabara accessing his spirit sword in Genkai's training before he can really master his spirit gun. And that's like, that's it. That's it. We go through two weeks of, we, of Genkai's training in the course of a scene transition. Like, the pacing of this show is breakneck. They do not wait for you, which in, in some circumstances is fine. But then at the end of, of episode five, at the end of the season, we have streamlined, we have speedrun the entire dark tournament without actually doing the tournament. We basically just went from the Rescue Yukino arc into the final match of the dark tournament against Team Toguro. And, like... What? How are we supposed to attach ourselves to these characters and to their struggles? Like, they drop Yoko Kurama, like, in the final episode, and we're supposed to not, like, we're, we're supposed to care. That's supposed to matter. 
but it doesn't. And it's it's just, it, it's a baffling decision. I don't understand why they decided to go this way. Maybe they didn't have faith in it. Maybe they didn't think that it was going to be good enough, like a one piece to carry seven or eight seasons. But the reason that that show is getting so much hype and publicity and great reactions is because these people cared. And it showed. And they took the time to tell these stories. And it, I just, ugh. It's frustrating, gang, and I and I hate being so negative, especially after such a positive conversation with Dallas. But it's like it's it's a frustrating situation because I really wanted this to be good, and for the first two episodes, it's pretty good. But then the back half of the season is just not up to snuff. Um, so I can't really recommend this. It's, it's heartbreaking, especially because I love this. I love the source material. And I think there's a lot here that you could take and really make something great. But this feels like it's going to go the way of Cowboy Bebop or Full Metal Alchemist, God forbid. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed. I'm bummed, gang. So... Um, yeah, that is, that is the surprise, uh, weekly review. I had to talk about it. I wasn't going to let this, this go by with it releasing this past weekend as of this recording and not talk about it. So this is going to be the final weekly review of the, of the year next week. We're going to be going just straight for our final, uh, batch of in December. Uh, so, uh, we might pick up weekly review next year uh we will see that is tentative but stay tuned for that as for now let's roll right on into this week's comics countdown welcome back to this week's comics countdown for the week of december 20th 2023 this is the penultimate Comics Countdown for the year of 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether you head on down to your local comic book shop or you buy digitally, these are the comics you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And it was it was tough, but ultimately I chose... World's Finest Teen Titans number six. What a wonderful little miniseries. I really, really loved it. And this was a perfect capper for the series. Obviously, I would have loved for the series to continue. But as it stands, this is a great one-off, self-contained story that you can hand to literally anybody. Um, it's just, it's, it's incredible what Mark Waid is doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to gloss over all the bullshit Mark Wade drama from this past week because uh, there's some people who just don't deserve to be spoken about or for me to waste my breath on them. But what I will say is that Mark Wade is a certified good brother and is still my favorite comic book writer of all time and has an open invitation to come on this show. Uh, that would be my dream guest. So maybe I'll put it out in the universe. We'll see. We'll see if there's one one uh, one last Christmas miracle left in it for me. But uh, yeah, so World's Finest Teen Titans, when that gets collected, share that with people because that book rules. And I was really excited. I posted up on Twitter that I was able to successfully get all six Doc Shaner uh, character sheet covers for the series 
I love it. I love those images. You know how much I love Shaner's art. So I was really happy to be able to do that. But that's last week's books. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive on into the list. And uh, speaking of Dick Grayson-led books, we've got Nightwing number 109. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Stephen Byrne. And this, I believe, is going to wrap up the whole storyline before we head into what I'm assuming is Nightwing's tie-ins to um, Beast World. But I am very curious how they wrap this up. I am going to just, I'll, I'll be honest, this is kind of a filler arc, which is fine. Filler arcs are totally okay as long as they are handled well. And I think this arc has been handled well. I've loved deepening the lore of Bloodhaven, uh, getting to be reunited with B. I've really, really enjoyed it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and figure out how they're going to wrap up this whole storyline. Nightwing's pirate adventure ends here. An all-new Beast World backup story begins. The dramatic conclusion to Nightwing's pirate quest. Nightwing learns the truth behind the secret pirate society, and his relationship with B. Bennett changes forever. Plus, an all-new adventure begins in the backups. What's going on with Beast Boy, and why is everyone turning into animals? The tie-in to Beast World, the thrilling new event of the season, starts here. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, gang. I'm not super into Beast World. I'm probably going to trade weight that. But I do love how big time they're making this feel. So I will be looking forward to seeing at least what this backup has in store for us. Next up, we've got Jay Garrick, The Flash, number three. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Diego Olortegui. And I have loved this series so far. You knew that I was going to because of course I would. It's Jay Garrick after all. But I absolutely love this series. I am really really loving that Jay is getting so much um so much shine and that him and the whole Garrick family are really just they're they're having a really fun story. I I think Judy's a great addition to the mythos. Um the creation of the character was a little strange for me, but I am all in on Judy being folded into the larger Flash family. I can't wait to see her involved in more stories. But either way, let's go ahead and figure out what's going on in this synopsis. Enemies from the past threaten the present. Something is coming for Judy Garrick and sending long-forgotten foes from her early days adventuring with her father. Jay will need to race ahead to figure out what really happened to Dr. Elemental if he wants to protect his family. Yeah, I love generational stories. I think this has been fantastic so far, and I can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Superman, number nine. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Bruno Redondo. I am really stoked about this. Um, anytime that Redondo gets his hands on Superman, I just, I love it. I love how he draws Superman. I love how he makes Superman feel. Um, I am feeling the lack of Jamal Campbell recently, but... I love that he's still doing the covers, and hopefully he'll be picking the sword back up uh, in January. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and figure out how Superman is going to finish out the year. 
the Man of Steel gets an upgrade, courtesy of Lex Luthor. Super Armor! Superman's battle with the Chained has left him wounded in unexpected ways, but the Lex Luthor Revenge Squad is still forming. To save Metropolis, Superman has no choice but to put on a special armor built by Lex, featuring artwork from Eisner Award-winning Nightwing artist Bruno Redondo. Yeah! Bruno Redondo! I am very excited to read this. This is going to be fantastic. Next up, we have The Superior Spider-Man number two. This is written by Dan Slott with art by Mark Bagley. And this is a week made specially for me, gang. <laughs> Superman and Superior Spider-Man in the same week? Are you kidding me? Uh, I really dug that first issue. I think that the... Uh, the story that they're telling is not what I expected, but I'm I'm curious how they're eventually going to get Otto back into the superior suit, or are they going to at all? That is a question that only Dan Slott and the team know the answer to. So let's dive into the synopsis and maybe we'll find some clues. No time travel, no clones, just superior spidering. The sins of Otto Octavius's past are exacting a heavy toll on the present, and one of Peter Parker's closest friends must pay the price for them. If the secrets revealed in our last issue didn't fill you with dread, wait till you see how this one ends. Ooh, ominous! I am very excited to see what they come up with here. Next up, we have Batman Superman World's Finest number 22. Speaking of Mark Wade, uh, written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora. This book rules! This is the best ongoing that. DC currently has right now, uh, which is saying something because they have so many tremendous books out at this point. Uh, this has really been a banner year for DC Comics, so I I am really freaking excited to see uh, what this what this issue has in store for us, what the series has in store for us. So let's uh, let's dive into the synopsis and see what's going on in the world of Kingdom Come. Trapped in the world of Kingdom Come. Trapped in the universe of... Fuck, they're saying that a bunch. Uh, trapped in the universe of Kingdom Come, the world's finest heroes encounter skewed versions of their friends. A team calling itself the Justice Battalion. Can Batman and Superman prevent Boy Thunder from fulfilling his destiny and becoming the bloodthirsty Magog? Justice Battalion. Okay, that's interesting. That is interesting. Did they ever call themselves Justice League and Kingdom Come? I don't remember. Oh, darn, I'm going to have to read Kingdom Come again. Darn it. Ah, what a shame. But yeah, I'm really excited about this. I love this origin story for Magog, and I'm really, really loving uh, Boy Thunder returning as a, like, a vengeful 90s version of Boy Thunder, which is very, I mean, it's very Kingdom Come, very Mark Wade. So I'm excited. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Doctor Strange number 10. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Pascal Ferry and... I t what 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 do you want me to say about this book? This might be this this is a contender for book of the year for me, and I do not just throw that out lightly. But this book has been so tremendous from every single issue, and I taught you could go back in the podcast when this first issue dropped. I was not happy about this. I was not excited about this book because I loved Strange, and I really loved having Clea be the main character, but 
what McKay and uh, Ferry have done since the inception of this book, of this chapter of McKay's sprawling Doctor Strange epic, has just been tremendous from issue to issue. It's banger after banger, and I've been absolutely adoring it. So let's find out what the good doctor is dealing with in this particular issue. General Strange versus the Sorcerer Supreme. General Strange has a millennium of fierce and ruthless experience over the Sorcerer Supreme. How can Doctor Strange protect the Earth and all of magic? And what dark creature will he have to become to best General Strange? Yeah, um, I'm assuming this is the last General Strange issue. Um, they've been building to this and I, they had a real great cliffhanger from issue nine. So I cannot wait to pick this up. This is going to be a banger for sure. But the big book of the week, I I mean, they're all heavy hitters. This is a big week gang. Um, but the book that I wanted to really spotlight in the big book of the week spot is wonder woman. Number four, once again, DC Comics, banner year, and really just absolutely crushing it. Absolutely crushing it, and Wonder Woman is no exception. This is written by Tom King, art by Daniel Sampier. Uh, This book has been tremendous. And in a year where we've gotten a revitalization for the Superman books, having Wonder Woman get this new chapter started in this year has been amazing and I've loved to see this Uh, Tom King once again I've talked about it I feel like every single month that this book pops up on the list I was going to trade weight this but Tom King and Daniel Sampier really sold me on that first issue and I've been loving it with every subsequent chapter so uh, let's find out what Diana's going to have to deal with this cover is gorgeous by the way picture of uh, Wonder Woman spray painted with graffiti like Trader, Amazons Go Home, all that stuff. So can't wait to pick this up. Uh, Let's dive into the synopsis. Will Diana lose hope in a world turned against her? With the world losing trust in the Amazons, Wonder Woman takes a moment to grant the wish of a dying boy and gives him the perfect day. Meanwhile, the Sovereign constricts his grip on the government. Will Wonder Woman be able to hold out hope as the world around her grows darker? Plus, Trinity spends the night at the Fortress of Solitude with her babysitters, the Super Sons. Yes, and I also loved the Super Sons and Baby Trinity uh, backup from last week. I am blanking on the name. Uh, Belena Ortega did the art, and I'm so... I'm so that's it, It's a match made in heaven. Belen Ortega is so incredible and she deserves to be on more books so i'm glad that she's in on this and it continues tom king's streak of working with the best artists in the game so uh let's recap this incredible week what a freaking heavy hitter of a week uh we've got nightwing number 109 superman number nine superior spider-man number two batman superman world's finest number 22 doctor strange number 10 and wonder woman number Four. A big week for DC Comics, but don't count out the Marvel contingent in here. Uh, it's time. Let's run right on over to your local comic book shop and pick up some marvelously distinguished comics. 
And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is the first time you're joining us on the Geeksplained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. It raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our terrific 21. We are so close to our goal. I want four more reviews before the end of the year. You've got one more week to make it happen, gang. We can do this. I believe in us. We can do this. We can close out 2023 with 25 reviews. I believe in us. I want to say a huge thank you to the Terrific 21 for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, get first notification when new episodes go live or when we make announcements for the show, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's at geeksplainedpod as I continue to figure out how to get good at Instagram and for as long as Twitter I'm not calling it X is around for we will see but if you want to follow us those are the places to do it finally this Friday and almost every single Friday we put on the Geek Explained book club currently Malcolm Russell Nelson and I are going through every single issue of every single volume of Green Arrow Rebirth we just wrapped up the rebirth era and this friday is our season four finale for the book club as we cover the 100 page spectacular green arrow 80th anniversary i am really excited it's an anthology series where we're going to be celebrating the emerald archer and all of his assorted uh heroes villains everybody in his supporting cast is going to be there so you should be there as well join us this friday and every friday emerald archer fridays are a real thing so be there or be square not a circle and if you want to get in on the action if you want to be part of our final book club mailbag send your emails in put something with quiver in the subject header if you want to get on friday's show send it by midnight tonight as of the release of this episode by midnight tonight that is the cutoff Uh, if you want to be part of our last book club of the year tonight is the time to do it so do that and join us this friday for the season four finale as we wrap up our coverage of green arrow And that's going to do it for this week's episode. I want to say a huge thank you to Dallas of the Comics Collective for coming on. I said it at the top. I always love chatting with Dallas. He unlocks my brain every single time we have a conversation. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope you enjoyed the misdirect and me sneaking a uh, weekly review in there for you as well. Um, I'm going to link to uh, the Comics Collective in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to them if you are not already. They are wonderful people over there. Uh, Lexi and Dallas, everyone who has been on that show are good people. 
they're good people who deserve good things, so do a good thing and listen to that show. Next week is our grand finale for In December, the final Wednesday episode of the year. And it's a pretty special one, gang. We are going to be covering Firepower, the series by Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney that has captured my heart for the past few years, and I will not be alone covering this series. Next week is the big finale, the big issue 30. It will be dropping the same day that this episode drops, and to ring that in to celebrate 30 issues, to celebrate a series that we all love, I will be joined by Brad and Lisa of the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. They have been beating the drum for firepower as long as I have. And the last time I had them on the show, we had a blast, so I cannot wait to discuss Firepower with them, and I can't wait to share that conversation with you. So join us, won't you? Next time, same geek time, same geek channel, next week as we cover Firepower and wrap up in December 2023. But for now, for the Geeksplain podcast and for In December, I am Eric Azana. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas. I hope the Christmas cheer has captured your heart, and I hope you send up all of your good vibes to Klaus, who is probably circling the globe, fighting all sorts of demonic creatures to protect our holiday season as we speak. Have a wonderful Christmas. I'll see you on the other side. Everybody stay safe. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Merry Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the season of all there'll be parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long long ago it's the most wonderful time of the There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mystery.
mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most.